All right. Welcome to episode 45, another special edition of Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. I just interrupted listening to my favorite album of all time to bring you this special edition. Don't you feel special? (laughs) All right. Well, today you are getting more revelations in an Ask Uncle Steve edition of the Revelation series. I didn't know it was a series, but I guess it is. Um, I have a decent amount of questions, so let's get right into it. Now, my first three question askers are all native Australians, and the first four all live in Australia. That is really wild. So, obviously, I put the two most awesome question askers right up front. So, here we go. Very first question asker. Her name is Chloe, and like I said, she is from Australia. She's from, believe, Perth, Australia. Uh, And I'll read what what I got from her. Maybe her mom might have sent this on her behalf, though. It says, Happy Thanksgiving. And today is Friday, so it's a day after Thanksgiving, but I got it on Thanksgiving. So, happy Thanksgiving to you, Chloe. Now, her question is, it's a very important one. And one I was kind of surprised to read because I thought that this was something that, uh, well, her question, do Americans really eat? peanut butter, and jelly together? So that's an easy answer, Chloe. Yes, Americans do really eat peanut butter and jelly together. Uh, Generally, as a sandwich, we get bread, put peanut butter on one. People do it differently. They all do it differently, I guess. But um, the way I always did it, because you asked me, do you? So I do from time to time. It's not something I engage in as much as I used to, but... You get bread, you put peanut butter on one piece of bread, you put jelly on the other piece of bread, and you just put the sandwich together, smash it together, and you eat it. Um, Now, some people use crunchy peanut butter. Some people use smooth. Um, I'm a smooth guy myself. I like uh, (laughs) – I'm not a smooth guy, but um, I like smooth peanut butter. I'm a smooth peanut butter kind of guy. And as far as jelly goes, there's obviously lots of kinds of jelly. Uh, I think the most popular 
kinds would probably be for this type of thing would be grape or strawberry. I'm definitely a grape jelly kind of guy. So I hope that um, answers your question. And I would say this, if you like peanut butter and if you like jelly, I don't even know if they have jelly in Australia, but if they don't, you tell your mom to let me know and I will go to the store and I will buy you some good jelly. I will buy, I might even, I'll go buy you some peanut butter too. Maybe I can give you a different kind of peanut butter. I'll find my favorite kind of peanut butter and I'll send it to you. And then you have to buy, your mom has to buy the bread because I'm not going to ship bread. But now I will say I used to buy this kind of jelly. I mean, I'm sorry, peanut butter. And it was like a honey peanut butter. So it had honey mixed in. So it was a little sweeter. It was really good. But I used to make peanut butter jelly sandwiches out of that. They also sell these little sandwiches you could buy. I guess they're sandwiches. You buy them, they're like frozen. And it's it's a, uh, they're, they were called Uncrustables. And it was basically like a little sandwich, but the crust was cut off. And on one side of it was jelly, and on one side of it was peanut butter. And I think you could buy strawberry or grape, but I would definitely choose grape. I hope that is good. Um, and if you if you try it, I want to hear about it. Now, next question comes from a a friend of mine that lives in Australia, native Australian, uh, George Whitnall. Now, George has a couple of different questions. Um, first one is, what was the first Iron Maiden song you remember listening to? And the answer to that question is Flight of Icarus from Peace of Mind. I got into an argument with a guy, and basically we were arguing over whether who was a better bass player, and I didn't know what I was talking about. So he brought me the Peace of Mind cassette to school. I listened to it, and the first song that played was Flight of Icarus. So that's the first song I remember listening to, and at that point I realized, hey, I could like this band. <laughs> I could listen to these guys. Um, Georgie's next question is, who are your favorite drummers? And I'm guessing he asks me this maybe because he knows I play a little bit of drums. And I know that Georgie plays drums. So uh, George's favorite drummers are Clive Burr, Phil Taylor. Uh, I'm going to mess some of these guys up because some of them I don't even know who they are. Uh, Phil Taylor, who I believe is from Motorhead. Dave Grohl is definitely from Nirvana and the Foo Fighters. Chad Channing, I don't, I recognize the name, but I don't know who he is. Nico McBrain and Paul Cook. I don't know who Paul Cook is either. I don't even know. I don't think I've heard the name. Now, my favorite drummers are, and I'm, and I'm casting Clive and Nico aside just because that's, that's kind of obvious. Um, I definitely prefer Clive when it, between Clive and Nico. He's a little more straight ahead. Nico's what they call a dental drummer. If you don't know what a, a dental drummer is, um, when you go to the dentist and they find holes, what do they do? They fill them. So if you have a dental drummer, a dental drummer is like a dentist. They think they see a hole. They think they got to fill it. So I stole that from Brian Johnson, who got it from Phil Rudd of ACDC. So I think Nico is definitely a dental drummer and I'm not a huge fan of that. I like, I like, uh, yeah, I won't go into that. Okay. Other drummers that I think are really awesome. Uh, Alice Cooper's drummer, Glenn Sobel. He is incredible. I've watched some of his solos, listened to some of his, um, you know, his playing on the Alice Cooper albums. And he, 
he does one of my absolute favorite little uh, drum fill where he just tears it up. Maybe if I do some special editing on this episode, I will include a little section of that here. Edit. All right, Georgie, I went and did a little bit of extra editing here so you could hear this. I'm going to play about 20 seconds of the song. It's by Alice Cooper. It's the title track from his Dirty Diamonds album. It's called Dirty Diamonds, but 20 seconds of it, you will know when you hear the drum fill or the uh, drum roll, whatever you want to call it. It is awesome. Admit it, Georgie. That was really, really awesome, right? Okay, hey, don't tell anybody else, but I'm going to play it a couple more times just for me and you, okay? Especially don't tell your dad. He'll get jealous. Another guy that I really love is Charlie Benante of Anthrax. I think he is great. Not only is he a great drummer, I mean, he is, to me, one of the absolute best. Okay, Georgie, I'm going to do this because me and you are friends, and we're both drummers, so don't tell your dad about this, okay? But since I'm talking about Charlie Benante, I'm going to give you a little bit, uh, about a 30-second clip or something like that of a song where he does some really cool drumming. So I hope you like this. He's also an incredible guitar player. If you listen to him, he can play all the kind of the anthrax music. He writes songs. He he's he's phenomenal. Uh, I agree with you about Dave Grohl. He's a powerhouse on the drums. He just I like watching him play because he you can tell when he plays he beats the crap out of the drums. He doesn't just he doesn't just you know play simple and I love that. Um, Sean Kinney of Alice in Chains. I really like him. He's he he does a little bit of intricate stuff, but he's he also plays it close and he plays it kind of simple sometimes. And I really like that. Um, Alan Doss, who's the drummer of a band called Galactic Cowboys, who you probably haven't heard of. I really like Alan's drumming. He keeps it simple and um, does what's needed. Scott Travis of Judas Priest. If you listen to Painkiller and see what he brought to that band ever since then, I've always just thought a lot of his drumming. Okay, Georgie, don't tell your dad about this. Okay. This is between me and you. When I say that I like what Scott Travis brought to Judas Priest, this is how they opened their first album, Painkiller. The song Painkiller, this is what Scott Travis brought to Judas Priest. 
Sean Drover of Lamb of God, which I'm not a Lamb of God fan, but I love – he plays on a Megadeth album called Dystopia, and his drumming is incredible, incredible on that album. Um, another great one is Stet Howland from uh, – he's in Metal Church now, but he used to play in Wasp. I love his drumming. I, I saw him live a few times, and he just – He's a he's a good showman. He's a great drummer, but he just he puts on a show behind the drums while he's playing. Not he not only just playing, but just he's a good showman. I I really like him. Um, there's a guy named uh, I don't know, how, I guess you call him Wuv W U V. He's from a band called Pod. He plays a little more. Uh, he plays a different style of drums. Uh, Pods are a mixture of a lot of different um, elements. Uh, they have all kind of just even rock, reggae, just a lot of different things, and he fits it all very well. He's I love his playing. And lastly, a band that I'm not a huge fan of, Alex Van Halen. Um, I'm not a huge Van Halen fan by any means. I'm I'm kind of getting into him a little bit, but I always uh, I saw a live video of him that my sister was a big Van Halen fan. And I remember she had this video. It was, uh, I believe it was called Live Without a Net. And a couple of things that I really liked about his playing is he plays a lot with the open hi-hat. And if you listen to Van Halen's songs, it's just, he's just, just riding on that open hi-hat. And it just, I always thought the sound of it was really, really cool. And if you can manage to find a copy of Live Without a Net, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube and you watch the drum solo. I remember watching it when I was younger and there's a part in the drum solo where it literally sounds like he's playing so fast. I guess he's doing so much. It sounds like a like an airplane, like the propeller of an airplane. It's so fast. I just I've always loved that, and I've I've never forgotten about th- that playing. It was really awesome. Okay, that's uh, I could probably name more drummers even, but that's uh, I'll stop there. Those are just I kind of scroll through my list of bands that I have on on my uh, iTunes, and and all of those guys are on there somewhere. So I don't know who I would say is my number. I've been saying lately that my, well, let's see for a long time. I said it was Nico. Um, but I kind of got away from Nico cause I just kind of, I got tired of just too much. Uh, then I went to probably Charlie Benante, but I think currently I've been saying my favorite drummer is Glenn Sobel from Allison chain. I'm sorry. From, um, Alice Cooper. And maybe that's because I've seen him live a couple or two or three times over the last few years. And his drum solos just knock it out of the park. He's, he's just really awesome. He's, he's great. Okay. My next set of questions is from another native Australian, uh, Sonia Whitnall. Um, and she has a bunch of questions for me. Uh, and these are a little more, um, and I'll, before I ask the questions, I'll add the comment that her husband, um, who, uh, goes by the name weekend warrior. So he's W he's like a, he's kind of like the internet. He's WWW weekend warrior Whitnall. <laughs> um, she has a few questions that are a little, not, not music related. So first question is how did you and your wife meet? Um, funny enough, the first time my wife ever saw me and I'm sure Georgie will appreciate this. The first time my wife ever saw me, I was playing drums. Um, I used to go to a church in Arlington, Texas, and we played in a little youth band, even though I was, uh, I was older, but I was playing for them and she was friends, a friend of hers that she went to college with, went to church there and said, Hey, this girl asked me a million questions. And then she called her friend and 
who lived in Louisiana, which is where I'm sitting right now, and said, hey, there's this guy here. She told she told her about me, and would you like to come down here and meet him? So she came down to meet me, and when she walked in the room, we were playing. So I was sitting behind the drums playing, and I mean, how much cooler can you get than coming into, you know, having the girl that, you, that you're looking forward to meeting or walking in the room, and you're sitting back there playing drums? I mean, I guess if you were playing guitar or maybe singing, but... But a drummer, you can hide a little behind the drums when you're doing it. So you can, you can feel cool, but without, you know, playing guitar or playing or singing, you're out there a little more in front of everybody. So, so that's how we met. Uh, I was playing drums and she walked in and uh, saw me playing. And after we got done playing, uh, we talked and then we went, what did we do? I think we went over to her friend's house and we sat over there and we talked till really late in the evening. And, and then from there, we just kind of, Things went on. You'll have to ask more questions if you want different details. So that's that's all you get right now. <laughs> um, what was my first job? My first job, um, very, very, I'll go, I kind of count it two ways. My very, very first job, I was working at a restaurant that is uh, located in Texas. And they're kind of moving throughout the United States a little bit. It's called Whataburger. It's just a fast food place. And I got the job and I started, I would go to work and I would get there. And they would say, hey, uh, we don't need you just right now. So just go over here and sit down and we'll let you know when we need you. So I'd sit there for 15 or 20 minutes and then someone would come out and say, hey, uh, we're not going to need you tonight. Okay, great. At this point, I don't have a car. I'm, I'm bumming rides from anybody I can just to get to work. So then I have to call and get a ride home. And this happened two or three times. And I didn't work much at all. I mean, I might have worked maybe an hour or two or three throughout the whole week and uh, had a friend at work and he said, Hey, I can help you get a job at my rest at the restaurant where I work. And so I got a job at another restaurant. That's uh, I don't know if we're all through the United States, but it's called golden corral. It's more, it was more back then of a, you go in, you go through the line. Yeah. You order your food, you sit down, they bring you your food. You have a waiter or a waitress and they, uh, you know, take, bring you your drinks and all that good stuff. So I was a dishwasher there and I worked there for two and a half years. And if you listen to my last episode, my revelations episode, the first revelations episode, that's the job that I quit to go see dangerous toys. Um, now, uh, next question is what was your first pet? The first pet that I ever remember having, we had an Australian shepherd dog and, uh, it was a black and white dog and it had one, one eye was, uh, the fur was black. The other one, it was white named it. It was bandit and it was a girl. <laughs> so, and, um, like every pet that we had when we lived in the country, I don't ever know what happened to it. It just disappeared one day. It just quit. It just quit being there. So I don't know if my dad took it somewhere and took care of it or if, if a, if a car on the road took care of it or what, I really don't know. But, uh, yeah, we had multi, we had one, two, we had probably three or four different dogs that just disappeared. And then we had one that, uh, the one that didn't disappear, I was moved out of the house by the time it died. Um, let's see. Coke or Pepsi? Absolutely would say Coke. Um, definitely much more of a Coca-Cola guy than a Pepsi guy. I've, I've liked Pepsi before. Now, if you're talking diet, I would say diet Pepsi over diet Coke. Because uh, Pepsi is too sweet, in my opinion. And diet Pepsi makes it a little more right, whereas diet Coke just doesn't taste good. McDonald's or Burger King? This is uh, Sonia's last question. McDonald's or Burger King? I would definitely say McDonald's. There was a time when I would have said Burger King, but to me, over the years, Burger King has lost their uh, 
lost the good. <laughs> They're just not any good. And I don't eat McDonald's that much either anyway, but either way. Okay. Next question up is from Kirsty in Australia. She's from England, so she's my first non-native Australian here. Uh, she says, does your wife listen to your podcasts? That would be a uh, a hard no. <laughs> she only Well, I guess she does listen whenever I go in there and, and play it for her. Say, hey, listen to this. You got to hear this. Listen to what this person says. And Or I, I usually generally what I'll do is I record, and then depending on who it is, uh, what kind of accent they have, I go and I play it and I say, hey, you got to hear this person. You got to hear what they sound like. I talked to someone from England today. I talked to someone from Venezuela today. I talked to someone from uh, the Netherlands today. You have to hear this. So that's always interesting just to hear the different accents. That's the only time she really hears it. Uh, <laughs> next question. Does she know how famous you are? Um, well, I tell her. I, I say, hey. And okay, so here's here's it here is a revelation right here that I haven't I don't ever share this stuff. Um when you do a podcast, you have what they call a hosting site, and there's a place where you can go and you can see stats. You can see how many people have listened to each episode and, and all this kind of stuff. But my favorite stat, if you haven't figured out, I I'm I'm kind of interested in, in geography and some history and things. I always like to see where people have listened to it, what what parts of the world and as far as I, if I can remember correctly, it has been listened to on every continent. Uh, I think it's only been listened to in Africa one time. So that's a huge continent for only one listen. But um, it's been listened to uh, in 75 different countries. Um, I don't know how many of those have o- are only one. I know that there are some, like I know it was listened to in Hong Kong, China, and it only had one listen, and that was a long time ago, so they really must not have liked what they heard because they never tried again. Or, you know, I don't want to guess what else could have happened to them in Hong Kong. Uh, but, so, yeah, it's uh, – she knows about that. I, I definitely make sure that she knows that, hey, my podcast has been listened to in 75. And it's something that it just keeps growing, which is really – to me, it's really cool. I, I'm always astonished when I see these different places. And I just think, you know, I'm some idiot that was recording a podcast in my kitchen <laughs> in Fort Worth. So it's it's really cool to uh, to know that. So that's about as famous as she knows. And and uh, Kersey also adds that um, the reason she asked these questions is because her husband didn't even listen to her one episode that she was on, which now she's been on probably multiple episodes at this point. So I don't. But obviously we're not we're not getting him as a listener. So that's OK. It's OK. We, we don't want him. We want Kirsty. That's who we want here. Um, next question up is the first one from somebody not in Australia. And uh, I, I use the old, I use the old Van Halen uh, logic here. Uh, women and children first. Uh, only one woman's question is not asked up here with the women's questions. Uh, now, Alejandra asks, if you could interview one of the members of Iron Maiden in your podcast, who would you choose and what would you ask? Uh, the what would you ask part's very difficult. So if I had time to ask somebody, I thought about that. I would want to have somebody that knows that's been there, that has been there and done it all. And there's only two guys you could really pick. Only Obviously, one has only been there the whole time. But I didn't choose him. I chose Dave Murray. He's been there most of the time up. You know, he was only not in the band for a short time when he was fired before, but he's been there for every incarnation of the band as far as album recordings 
And I think that he would be a really, really cool guy. Also, he was in a band with Adrian Smith before he was an Iron Maiden. And they were friends in high school. So I think that would even be some further back interesting Iron Maiden uh, information to be able to ask about. Um, he just seems like he'd be a really cool guy to talk to. He'd be honest. And you could go literally anywhere in the career with him. He was there through the Blaze years. He was there through the um, Paul Diano. He was, heck, he was there when they had uh, Dennis Wilcock. He was there when they had everybody. I mean, like I said, he, 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 so yeah, he would definitely be the guy. And, and plus, he's a little more, I think, as far as interviewees go, he's, He's not the one who's getting interviewed all the time. So I think he would be a little, uh, if you ever heard my show that I did with James from New Zealand, he got to interview Dave Murray and he just said he was really cool. He said he could tell I was a fan and he just, he just went with it. And I thought he, he, he made him feel really down and easy about the whole thing. So I think that would be awesome. So, uh, <laughs> next question is, uh, from Josh, uh, Josh from the talking maiden podcast formerly of the Talking Maiden on Hiatus podcast. <laughs> he says, you've got one night out in London. Now, this has got to be assuming, I'm, I'm assuming I'm a single man at this point. So this is before 2001. So let's pretend, we're, we're talking, <clears throat> ooh, that would change it actually if I said it was the 90s. So we'll say 1999 because that was the six-man band. You've got one night out in London. You can pick any member of Iron Maiden to be your wingman. So who do you choose and why? Um, <laughs> uh, so I had to look up exactly to see what a wingman was. Exactly what I understand. I've heard the lingo, but I, you know, I've never, I never used a wingman that I know of. So uh, I've been out of the dating game for for twenty years. So I had to look this up, and this is this is the definition what I that I found. A man who helps a friend with romantic relationships, especially one who helps the friend attract a woman. <laughs> It gave the example of this here. When I walked into the bar, my wingman was already there talking to two women. And so when I read that, uh, I knew that my wingman had to be Nico. <laughs> he is so talkative that you know he'd be talking to everybody and he'd easily be talking to plenty of people to get you off to a good start, if you know what I mean. So, um, yeah, it'd have to be Nico. Now, um, Next question is from Greg Morgan from Crayford, London. He says, what is your favorite incarnation of Eddie? He says, mine is the early maniac pre-lobotomy. Uh, he also added that hopefully nobody would pick the X Factor or Final Frontier abominations. Now, I take a little offense to the Final Frontier because I kind of like, I like that. It's different. It's not my favorite by any means, but um, I wrote down four and I think three of them are all pretty similar. I wrote down Number of the Beast, Phantom of the Opera, and Purgatory. Because all of those, he's the long-haired Eddie. He's, uh, I mean, he looks awesome on Number of the Beast. Uh, my screensaver on my phone is Phantom of the Opera. I love that. And Purgatory, he's sitting there. and I mean, man, he, he looks, uh, oh, he looks wicked. <laughs> um, my fourth one was Somewhere in Time. I love the Somewhere in Time Eddie as well. Um, I posted a picture on uh, Twitter a while back of it's basically you. It was a door poster. You put it on your door. It's Eddie busting through your door with like he shot through the door with this gun. He's stepping through and aiming the gun right at you. Um, I really think the somewhere. I don't know if I. I don't know if I had to choose between those two. I'll do it right now. 
because I'm that kind of guy and I can change my mind tomorrow. I'm going to go ahead and say that it is the uh, the number, the old school, the number of the beast, Phantom of the Opera, Eddie, with the somewhere in time, Eddie, in a very, 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 just by a uh, just by a whisker, they would say over in New Zealand. Um, next question is from Fallon Lazar from Pennsylvania in the USA. He says, "What do you make of the whole Ozfest feud?" Now that's a that's a pretty interesting question because from all the things I've heard about it, Bruce was on stage on an Ozfest tour where Iron Maiden is the guest. And obviously to me, Iron Maiden was the primo band on that bill. I don't know who all else was on it, but Black Sabbath or Iron Maiden, I think either way, Iron Maiden was the guest. They were not headlining. It wasn't called Iron Fest. It was called Ozfest. Bruce was on stage saying things about Ozzy that he really shouldn't have been saying, given the fact that they were opening for Ozzy. They got that. And that's a big, that's a crowd that, you're going to get fans there that may may not be into Iron Maiden, even though I've heard it was a very uh, Maiden-heavy crowd. And there's there's rumors that a lot of people were leaving after Iron Maiden because they were playing right before Black Sabbath. And, I mean, if you're a big, humongous Iron Maiden fan, maybe you don't like Black Sabbath. Um, here's my th- my thought on it, though. If they didn't appreciate what Iron Maiden was saying, what Bruce was saying, you know, Sharon Osbourne could have easily went to Rod Smallwood and 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 said something. Said, "Hey, I know Bruce is outspoken. Could, could is there any way he could not be saying these things? I don't appreciate." And you know, she's definitely she definitely doesn't mince words. She didn't get where she's gotten in life by by being, uh, you know, just. Um, do you think that? Um, Maybe uh, possibly that Bruce could maybe uh, no. I guarantee she could have easily walked in there, spoke her mind, and either said, "Look, if, if that's going to keep up, we're, y'all aren't going to be on the tour anymore," which would have lost some tickets, I'm sure too. But the whole thing of them throwing, you know, giving eggs to people, and and that whole thing of cutting the sound, even uh, I don't condone the throwing of the eggs by any means at all. But to me, the worst, absolute worst part of it was because the throwing of the eggs, eh, the throwing of the eggs and the the cutting of the sound is probably what prompted Bruce to say what he said about these colors don't run. But my thing is you got people, let's just pretend that's the only Iron Maiden show somebody got to go to in their whole life. They traveled a long way to get there. They saved up all their money. They made a special trip just to do it. And then that happens. I mean, I think it's that's the despicable thing. I think is you've got this band. People love music. It's it's they're paying to come and see a festival. They, I would have been furious. I know that. I, I you know, you hear the sound go out during Phantom of the Opera, and you're like, oh my gosh. And and it's one thing if it's on an accident. If it's on purpose, that's that's. I think that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty uh, a pretty low life move to make. Sorry, I'm moving around here. Um, that's a very, a very uh, scumbag move, and I, I don't like that at all. I, I already have issues with with the whole the way that that she treats, you know, like Lee Kerslake and Bob Daisley and and Jakey e. Lee and just different musicians that Ozzy's worked with that have written his music, and but to treat another band like that, just kick them off the tour, just get rid of them if you don't if you if you can't deal with it. Uh, the other thing I would just say is. Um, just man up. 
trying to think of a, a polite way to say it. Just, just grow up, deal with it. Just, just don't let, don't be offended by something. It's just a stupid comment that he said about, we don't need a TV show or whatever. Big deal. But either way, yeah, I definitely, I blame, I blame Bruce for saying, you know, going up there and mouthing off when he shouldn't have. I also blame Sharon for handling it the way she handled it. I think the biggest losers in that other than Sharon was the Iron Maiden fans that were there that really were wanting to see the band. And like I said, just imagine you never saw him again. That was the only show you ever got to go to. Who would want that? I mean, it'd be historic. It'd be great to be there and have seen it for the historical aspect of it. Uh, like my friend Paul in California, but yeah, so that's, um, that's, that's kind of what I make of the feud, I guess. Um, now, um, Oh gosh, this next question, you know, I thought me and Andy from fall Kirk UK were friends. Um, I may have to, um, I said there were no limitations on what people could ask, but people asking questions like what's your favorite songs by this band or top five, what's your top five, this, what's your favorite, this, I've got three people that ask questions like that. One of them is Andy from fall Creek case, whose question is going to get answered first. And this was a difficult, very difficult answer because I suck at putting, you know, making a list, even looking at an album. Sometimes I can go, Oh, what's my favorite songs on this album. It's tough. So Andy asks the impossible question. Well, actually, someone later asks the impossible question that I did answer. What are your favorite five albums of all time? Uh, So this could change tomorrow, and it probably will. But I just kind of I thought about it, and these are the five that I came up with in no certain order here. Um first one I wrote down was painkiller by Judas priest. That's a blistering album from start to finish. Rob Halford is at, to me is at his peak. He is just, he kills it. I saw that tour like from second row and Rob Halford just was incredible. Incredible. I think Rob Halford is probably the best uh, live vocalist I've ever heard ever. Ever, ever. And I know my podcast is called Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. He's not my favorite vocalist of all time. God dang. He's, he's, a, him and Bruce are both my favorites. I, I have a way I say it. I say, uh, I like, I like, uh, Bruce better because he's got a little more consistency, even on his so, even though his solo albums are tattooed millionaire skunk works, there's a little bit of variety in there, but band wise, with Maiden, they've been pretty consistent. Whereas Rob, you know, he did the two album, which was the worst thing he's ever done. Um, the first fight album was really good. The second fight album was okay. Then he's done a lot of solo stuff after that. The resurrection album was incredible. Um, I love painkiller. That's a great album. Uh, next one is, a matter of life and death. If if I say that's my favorite Iron Maiden album, I've got to put it in there. I've, I and this is now. I, if if you asked me this question uh, a few years ago, maybe I would have answered differently. But a matter of life and death, love it. It's killer. It's great from start to finish. You don't want to skip anything on it. Um, the next album is by Alice Cooper. It's called Dada, and or Dada. Um, 
that's a weird album by Alice Cooper. It's not it's not his heaviest album, but it's it's an album that if I'm in the right mood and I put it on, it's a to me it's a concept album, even though it's it's probably not. But man, I just I love it. It takes you on a lot. It takes you a lot of places, and it's an incredible album. It's just it's, it's some really good stories on it. Alice Cooper says he has zero recollection of even recording it. And at that point he had been doing like new wave albums. He had about three new wave albums that he had done new wave ish. And this was a complete 180 from those. And this is the last album that he recorded, uh, for about three or he didn't record anything for three or four years. I think he went into rehab. I think he was really, really, really bad off on drugs at that point. Um, <clears throat> see the fourth one I have is a, a band. If you listen to my revelation episode, there was a band on there called Lillian Axe, and this album is called Psycho Schizophrenia. And that album came out around '93. Uh, I got to see that show uh, that you know they they were playing clubs. It's not like they were headlining in arenas or anything like that, but they always played in clubs. And I got to see them many times in in local clubs in the Dallas for the Dallas area. So I really that's an album that I was that I could play and. I don't skip anything on it. Uh, the last one is by another one of my all-time favorite bands, uh, Wasp. And I know that if anyone here listens to Wasp, they're probably expecting me to say the first album or the Headless Children or what's the other one? Uh, the Crimson Idol. But I chose Dominator. Uh, that's an album that I put on and start to finish. I love it. love it. So... Like I said, uh, you can't you can't write these in stone. Don't put these on my uh, uh, <laughs> my grave marker. Um, it's not part of my epitaph, whatever. So, um, so the next question uh, is from Nesbit from the Talking Maiden podcast. So, in a way, I've kind of had a Talking Maiden reunion right here. <laughs> Pretty cool. Uh, it says top five Wasp songs. Oh wow. Let me read that again. Top five Wasp songs. Okay. This is really tough because uh, Wasp is a band that they're one of the bands I've probably been in longer. Um, I've been into Kiss a little longer than Wasp, but they came along right around the same time. So they're one of my favorite bands that I've listened to probably for the longest amount of time. Um, So I went ahead and, and, and picked some songs and... Uh, this is certainly not easy picking a top. Like I said, I, if you told me to pick the top song from each album, it would be a little difficult for me because some of these songs, some of these albums have so many great songs on them by anyone that I love. So I went with, um, first off from the album dominator, I chose, there's a song called, and maybe if I do a little creative editing here, I'll include, I'll maybe mess with this, some of this, but I don't think I'm going to. So I've got, there's a song called take me up which is incredible. I listened to it uh, while I was going through it and trying to figure out a favorite albums and um, um, <laughs> favorite songs from Wasp. Uh, it's from 2007's Dominator album. Close your eyes Leave me last forever Close my eyes. Leave me down in heaven. 
And the second one, if you listen to the last episode I did, you heard The Burning Man or part of it. So Take Me Up and The Burning Man from Dominator. From the first album, their self-titled album, I chose Love Machine, which is probably one of their more popular songs. I don't usually tend to, to have songs like that, but that one just never, ever has grown old. song from the self-titled album was sleeping in the fire uh the ballad of the album and it's it's incredible uh it's, it's really incredible there it's really incredible on live in the raw which just celebrated an anniversary Fifth one, I chose Restless Gypsy from Inside the Electric Circus. And Wasp tends to have, at least early on, they had a lot of songs that were overtly sexual in nature. And while I don't mind some songs like that, but when it's it's too much, too much, I just they get old to me and I kind of like a band to go off on another path. And Restless Gypsy is a is a phenomenal song and it's not like that at all. And it's, and that's probably that album was probably one of the worst albums for that. Thank you. 
Now, just in case you didn't notice, I read the title twice, Top 5 Wasp Songs, because I couldn't just pick five. <laughs> so let me give you, uh, this is actually my top 10. And like I said, this could change. I, I could have changed this list before I met, you know, while I was making it, but I just said, you know what, I'm going to pick 10. Um, next one is from the 2009 album, Babylon. It's called Babylon's Burning. Man, that's a killer song, killer song. And, and to think that that was, you know, 25, 30 years into their career. Uh, I got to do the math again. 84, 94, 04. So that was 25 years into their career. They put that out. And that song is killer. Uh, if you don't believe me, go to YouTube or whatever you use for your streaming and type in Babylon's Burning by Wasp. Killer song. album that I got a couple songs off was 1989's The Headless Children. And that album by Wasp was awesome because the 80s in music were very, you know, they, they call it the hair metal era. And all the bands were overtly sexual in nature and just cheesy. And if you listen to uh, Inside the Electric Circus by Wasp, it has a lot of that on it. But Wasp went and just basically did a 180 and went from all that stuff. They, they hit and they hit serious and they took serious nature on, on almost every song on that album and a different sound. Oh, and it, I can remember hearing it for the first time. It blew me away. So, um, from 1989 the headless children have the opening track, uh, the heretic, uh, and in uh, parentheses, it says the lost child killer song. I can remember hearing that the first time and, it blended in a lot better with, with the heavier uh, stuff that I was starting to listen to back then, like metal church. And um, I was already into Metallica and things, but that fit in a lot better than, than what they had been doing.
And another song from that album I included was Thunderhead, which is a, about a, a man with a drug problem. And awesome, awesome song. I've got two left. That's been eight songs so far. Um, the last two I have are, one is from 1992's The Crimson Idol. I chose the song The Idol. It's the ballad. It's a great, great, great ballad. Last one I chose is from 1995's Still Not Black Enough album, which was, I believe, supposed to be a Blackie Lawless solo, which The Crimson Idol was supposed to be a solo album as well, I believe. But um, it's called Scared to Death. And, um, oh, man, they're just killer songs. They, they have a good bit of variety. Take it into 
Now, not only does my wife ask me hard questions at home, my wife asked me the hardest question of anybody's question. Uh, I thought Andy's question was hard. I thought his question of what's your uh, favorite five albums of all time. So I told my wife I was going to do this episode, and I, I said, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I think I'm going to do an episode where I just let people ask me questions. Uh, you know, I said, if I can get enough people interested to ask, you know, that care enough to want to know anything. And um, so my wife says, okay, I got one for you. And I'm like, okay, what's this going to be? Did you clean out the dishwasher? Uh, have you scrubbed the toilet? You know, have you washed the clothes, whatever, wash the dishes? You know, she says, what is your favorite album of all time? And I'm like, that, that's like saying, which one of my kids do I like best? <laughs> you know, um, and it can vary at times. So, um, to narrow five, just to narrow the five that I put down. So I just, that's, so Andy's question did help me because I, I, but of course, before I did this, I already knew my wife had asked this. So, but I did Andy's first. So I had painkiller, uh, the greater of two evils, a matter of life and death dominator and psycho schizophrenia. Now, painkiller, obviously I've already talked about that. A matter of life and death dominator, um, the greater of two evils. I didn't include that on my <laughs> five a second ago, but, um, if you don't know, that is an anthrax album. It's basically John Bush re-singing a bunch of songs from the era before he was in the band. And dude, you want to talk about an awesome album? Listen to the greater of two evils by anthrax. It's incredible. John Bush is incredible. Incredible. was another album that I could have put in my top five. So um, as much as I like Da Da, I, I went ahead and um, it's still in there because I gave it on my other list. But on this one, I got to say a different one just for the sake of saying it. Uh, and the last one was uh, Lillian Axe's Psycho Schizophrenia. Um, now everybody knows that my favorite band of all time is Iron Maiden. But I know I got a problem. I know I got a couple of gasps already, but, but in a very controversial move. And I had to think about this. I had to look at all these and, and I took some things into consideration. 
I decided that my favorite album of all time is Psycho Schizophrenia by Lillian Axe. And I got to meet the lead singer of Lillian Axe in February, and it was really, really, really cool because uh, his voice sounded great with the band he was playing with. Um, obviously, this is subject to change because music is art, and art is subjective. Uh, music can hit you in different ways. Um, but to me, though, this album is perfect. Uh, I said earlier, I saw a lot of shows on the tour, and to me, this album came out in ninety. Three, I think is what I said. This album still holds up all these years later. It's, I put it on and I don't feel like, you know, some stuff you hear from that era, it, it just doesn't, it didn't age well. And to me, this, there's, this album goes, it, ha, it has, a, it's got many personalities. And, you know, the title indicates that psycho schizophrenia. Um, and it takes you on many trips, and really, I think they're all worthwhile. There's songs that are heavy. There's songs that are really soft, tender songs, and heavy all over again. It goes all over the map. It's 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 a great, great album. Um, I'm hoping I include some of it on this uh, thing you're listening to. Hopefully, everything I include, I believe, is going to be from this album. That's what I decided earlier. Um, and I'll say this. If you like Alice in Chains, then you very well may like this band because the singer and the guitar players share a lot of dual harmonies during the verses and things like that. And, um, which reminds me a lot of Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell musically. They're not, they don't sound like Alice in Chains. Um, but there's definitely that vibe to it. And, uh, the singer Ron Taylor and the guitar player, Stevie blaze. They do that. Uh, they're from, uh, Louisiana and, it's killer. It's a killer, killer album. I mean, I really, I really love it and I uh, highly recommend it. If you want to look it up, it's Lillian Axe Psycho Schizophrenia. So there you have it. <laughs>
Next question is a, uh, it's a hypothetical. It's from James in New Zealand. He says, the year is 1993. Bruce Dickinson confides in you that he is considering leaving Iron Maiden. Knowing how things work out, do you encourage him to leave and history follows its course? Or do you risk it all and convince him to stay in the band? I had to do a little bit of thinking about this, but it wasn't as hard of a question as I thought, because knowing what I know now, Bruce went out, he did Balls to Picasso, which I like. He did Skunk Works, which I like. He did Accident of Birth and Chemical Wedding in that time where he was out of Iron Maiden. And in my opinion, all of those albums have a lot of worthwhile material to listen to. Also, you got the couple of albums which which featured Blaze, which are definitely different, but there's some great stuff on those. But the biggest thing out of it we got, well, two things. You get Brave New World, Dance of Death, Matter of Life and Death, The Final Frontier, and Book of Souls so far. We've gotten all of that, plus all the live albums that followed. If If you go convince Bruce to stay in Iron Maiden, you very well might lose all that because maybe in a couple of years the band flops so bad or tensions get so bad that they have a big fight. They don't get back together. And maybe um, I did discuss this with somebody, somebody that submitted the question already. And, um, you know, maybe we only would have gotten 10 years of worth of Iron Maiden with Bruce back in the band. Maybe it's interesting because I, I, I do think that with Blaze, I think that Iron Maiden was on an upward trajectory from, you know, where they were from the final frontier because you listen to the stuff that he contributed uh, to Brave New World. And I mean, Blood Brothers is one of them. And Blood Brothers is what you would pretty much consider a classic. So, and there's other songs too. Also, if you go listen to Blaze's solo material, all of that came because he got booted out of Iron Maiden. And so we've gotten all that great music from him. We've gotten all the great music from Maiden. So I would absolutely say it's a very easy decision. You let him leave Iron Maiden because where Maiden was going at the time, you know, they did Seventh Son, then they did No Prayer and Fear of the Dark. So they were already kind of the trajectory of the band was not going in the same direction. Music had changed. Grunge had hit and all that. But uh, you just don't. We would we would miss out on too much, and I I I would not risk it all, James. I would not risk it all. So, um, but it would definitely be uh, interesting to have had that conversation with Bruce as well. Seems like you would try to talk him into it, but you know that <laughs> Bruce is the kind of guy that makes up his mind and isn't going to look back, uh, even though he looked back a few years later. Uh, next question is from Wayne in Birmingham, England. Uh, from Wayne's Iron Maiden podcast, he says, how does it feel to have driven a successful 80s band off of Twitter? Uh, I really wasn't sure what he meant when I first read it, but he also attached a apparently a tweet from the band The Thompson Twins, and which astonished me, but it said, sad to hear we weren't mentioned in the latest Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone hashtag podcast. And he is now denying he liked us, which is sad. And then it says, now deleting our profile. Sadness in our eyes. Hashtag sadness in our eyes. Thanks for the memories. So how does it feel to have driven an 80, a successful 80s band off of Twitter? Um, I don't know why he tagged the Thompson Twins and then said it was a successful band from the 80s. So 
Um, I think he must have met somebody else. I don't know who else he met. I guess I need to email him and ask. But, uh, hey, I've never denied. I'll just address this here because I've never denied that I liked the Thompson Twins in the 80s. And recently I did listen to their song called Hold Me Now. And I thought, you know, these these uh, these melodies are really good. They're good melodies. I like the way they sound in the chorus. Uh, it's a good song. So there you have it. There's the latest Thompson Twins news from Uncle Steve. Okay, uh, next question is from Craig S. from England. He says, can I ask where my legacy vinyl is and when it's going to arrive? And I said, hey, nothing's off limits here, buddy. So good news is, is that I think that the, the, the postal service, the mail carriers over there in England must have got wind that this question was going to get asked. And maybe they thought that I was going to pull some strings and, and, and hurry up and get Craig his album. So by the time I recorded this, he already has received his legacy vinyl. So all I can say to Craig is, you're welcome. <laughs> okay. Now, consequently, my Legacy of the Beast um, album, my three, the colored album, the three colors of the Mexico flag showed up on Friday. I didn't have time to listen to it because I had to go to bed and sleep to go to work. I, I woke up, went to work, didn't have time to go play it, obviously, because I had to go to work, came home, slept three hours, got in the car, and we drove to my uh, in-laws in Louisiana. And I don't have a vinyl player in the vehicle, so if anyone knows where to get one, I would definitely be interested. I can just imagine every time you hit a bump. <laughs> um, also, I found out earlier today, uh, today is currently, uh, it would have been Friday, I guess. It's, it's Saturday morning here. <laughs> I found out that it, my package with the Iron Maiden, the other, uh, the black vinyl, the CD, uh, James uh, from New Zealand's favorite piece, the lanyard. I've understood that all of my uh, collectibles, the T-shirt, everything showed up today at my house. So I've already had my neighbor pick it up, make sure that it was uh, in safekeeping until I get home on Sunday. Okay, next question is from Alan Bell in England. Oh, and he kind of, he kind of a. Uh, Tags on there. So he says, what do you think of the new Iron Maiden album? Iron Maiden has a new album out is my question. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, I really wouldn't know Alan because I don't have my CD to listen to yet. It's only seven days later, but it came in seven days. I'm not mad anymore. I wasn't mad before I found out it was there. And he says, sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, I'm the kind of guy I, at least... And really, Iron Maiden's the only band I do this with at this point, but I don't want to go on Spotify or YouTube or something and listen to that copy. I don't want to listen to it there. I want to get the CD, and all I'm going to do is put it on my computer and then drag it over to my phone. But I want to have a copy to listen to because once it's on my phone, I can put my headphones on, listen to it. I can look in the CD book. I can do all of that and look through the credits, look at all the pictures, look at everything that it comes with. I like to have a physical copy before I do that. So it is currently Saturday, eight days after this album was released. I pre-ordered it six weeks or so in advance. I still haven't heard it. Next question is up. Next question up. And I'm sorry I keep doing this uh, uh, sniffing thing. I don't know why. Next question is from the Feckin' Metal Podcast from Fergal. He says, which CD album has the best 
spine. Uh, I, I looked up, uh, wanted to maybe get a clever answer here. So I looked it up and it says the spine is our body's central support structure. So I'm going to say that uh, central support structure. I'm going to say Knights of the Dead, the new live Iron Maiden album that I haven't seen yet. If I'm waiting this long, it must be extra special. So there you have it. I hope that answers your question over in Ireland. The next question, uh, we're going back to Australia for this one. It is The Weekend Warrior. He says, are there any bands, singers, or songs you hate so much you can't bear to hear them? And I've got to admit, um, when I'm reading this question, I didn't really, all I really noticed was bands or singers. I didn't notice songs. There's probably plenty of songs. Um, He says, for example, I can't stand Australian singer Jimmy Barnes, bloody awful. Um, Now, I don't know who Jimmy Barnes is, but I'm assuming that he's bloody awful. Um, Now, for me, music, bands, singers, songs that I hate so much that I can't bear to hear them. It's generally country music. I absolutely hate country music. It makes me sick to listen to it. Um, I've gotten violently angry listening, having to hear it, riding in the car with somebody. Um, but th- there's a restaurant in Texas that I like to go eat at. They're all over the United States, but they always play country music. And unfortunately, I like their food enough to actually tolerate it. <laughs> So Texas Roadhouse does that for me. I, I can tolerate it for Texas Roadhouse, but usually it's so loud in there with people and everything that you don't notice it quite as much. Um, now, I don't think I hate this singer as much as you do with Jimmy Barnes, and this is probably going to really irritate some people. <laughs> but Chris Cornell's voice, uh, the guy from Soundgarden, when he hits that really high register, um to me, it's like nails on a chalkboard, which nails on a chalkboard doesn't bother me, but Chris Cornell's voice has that effect. I, I can't stand it. I have to change the channel. Um, I've heard plenty of people say that he's a great songwriter and he does a lot of those kind of things. So I'm not, I'm not saying he's a terrible person or a musician that he didn't have talent. I just don't like his voice. Now, if he's singing something like I fell on black days, the lower part, when he's just singing the beginning of the chorus, but when he gets to the, how would I know? Oh God, I hate it. Hate that. So even though I kind of liked that song and I once there once upon a time, I did have their album called super unknown. And I liked some of that stuff on it. I do remember a song called fourth of July that I thought was pretty cool. I think it was on that album. And I don't recall if he had any high register singing on it, but on that song, fourth of July, but he probably did, and I just don't remember it now. But, yeah, his his voice just gets on my nerves. Um, oh, we have another question here, a part two from the Feckin' Metal podcast. Legitimate question, unlike the last one. He says, although please answer the other question, which I did. Where do you think virus fits into the Blaze era? He says, for me, it's maybe the third best song they did with him after Klansman and Sign of the Cross. Maybe Como Estas Amigos as well. And it's pretty much lost in time. He'd love to hear Bruce do it. Uh, me personally, I, I kind of e- going to echo a little bit of what Fergal says here. I love the song Virus. It's killer. It's, 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 it's weird at the beginning. A menace to society, a social disease. 
But it's, it, it kicks into that just classic, classic Maiden sound. I love it. I love the song. I would say it probably ranks lower than sign of the cross. It probably ranks lower than the Klansmen. I think it's on par with say future real and como estas amigos. Now the X factor is not my favorite album. I like it a lot. I think a lot of it has similarities to the songs. So I'm not going to mention anything off of that album, but I think for what else is on Virtual 11, I think that that song is is probably as good or better than anything else other than maybe Como Estas Amigos and uh, Klansman and Future Real. I think it, it's, but I think it's right in there somewhere. I think it's, I, I would love to hear. I know Blaze has done it live as a solo songs, as solo songs. So, uh, see here. Um, okay, other thing I wanted to add here. On the video, the video is really weird, but one thing I think is cool about the video is it shows each of the band members singing like the lines of the song or, you know, singing verses. Like it shows Yannick doing it, it shows Nico, it shows Dave Murray. And anytime you watch an Iron Maiden concert, there's only two people mouthing the words to the songs. One of them is the singer, which is Bruce, and the other one is always Steve Harris. So I thought that was really cool to see that in the video there. So, okay. Next question I've got is, it's a, well, it's two questions. Luis from Venezuela. He says, if you had the chance to talk for one hour to either Bruce or Steve, who would you choose and what would your first question to them be? So he said, that is two questions. Now, the first part is easy uh, and kind of for the same reason with what I said about Alejandro's question. I said I would want someone that's been there the whole time so I could ask um, about anything, anything. So Bruce, you know, has been in and out of the band and Bruce kind of has a little bit of a reputation for, he doesn't want to, if he sees fans, he doesn't really want to talk about the music as much. He's not as, he's just not as interested in it after a while. And, and Steve, I think Iron Maiden's his life. So now I'm assuming that this is going to be an all encompassing question interview. I no holds barred. Nothing's off limits. Dream interview kind of thing with all truth being required, but I think I would want to start out in the beginning or very early. And I think my question that I thought of would be, and I'm sure talking maiden has probably already answered this question. So maybe I should just ask, uh, Nesbitt, <laughs> but, uh, 
as a legend, you know, to me, legend has it that you were, and when you were in the process of trying Dennis Stratton out for the band, in that process, he ended up adding something to Phantom of the Opera that, to my uh, recollection, has stuck that never um, got taken out. So it was obviously instrumental, and that and that that was instrumental in him getting the gig. Now, if that's true. What did he add to the song that made such a huge impact on the song and on Steve Harris? Because that's a Steve Harris only, but but I've heard that he got in there and, and added, and maybe it was just background vocals. Maybe it was something, whatever it was, it, it made an impact on Steve Harris to add something to a song that he had wrote. And Phantom of the Opera is a perfect song for me. So that would be my question. Um, I'd love to go through the years. I'd love to say what really happened with Clive Burr. That'd be a good question. Um, and of course, uh, I won't ask anything else. This is going a while long right now, but uh, next question is from Cliff Webb. And if you ever hear me say somebody's name and I don't say where they're from, it's because what research I did did not give me a place that they're from. So I, I want to say, I think Cliff was from across the pond somewhere, but he could be from Fort Worth for all I know. <laughs> He says, Iron Maiden is a new wave of British heavy metal band, but are they still? Uh, He says, by that I mean, is it possible for any band to still be a new wave of British heavy metal band? I think, I mean, uh, let's see here. Um, He says, I mean, is this a definition or style, a period from 78 to 83 when this sound was flourishing in the streets of London? Um. Okay, I think I don't think that Iron Maiden is still a new wave of British heavy metal band at all. I think they're a progressive band. Um, I don't think that Peace of Mind, I don't think what they did there was progressive either. I think they were at the end of it. But for me, I think um, I think Running Free, oh wait, sorry, I'm reading his part here. He said Running Free, Run to the Hills, and the Trooper were new wave of British heavy metal, but... Could I say Empire of the Clouds is a you know is a new wave? I'd say absolutely not. Um, I think they're prog metal. I think once you got to Peace of Mind, they were almost completely away from the new wave of British heavy metal. I think the first three albums have have signs of that. And I'm not a huge new wave of British heavy metal person. Um, I think it would be like saying uh, is Hysteria by Def Leppard a new wave of British heavy metal album? And we all know they were also in that in that new wave of British heavy metal group, but they strayed from it as well. So, um, yeah, so that's how I feel about it. I, I, I really, I really think that the cliff that you had, that you answered your own question there, <laughs> you basically, what you wrote was what I think. So good call. Um, next question is from Sean Dehan from Surrey, British Columbia. He says, what are your favorite bootlegs? Um, I'm not necessarily, I'm not a big bootleg guy. I don't, I prefer if I'm going to listen to live music by, we're just, I'll just talk Maiden here. Um, I want to listen to Rock and Rio, um, Beast Over Hammersmith, Live After Death. I want to listen to something that, that's going to have a good recording quality, something that sounds, you know, something that's well produced and all that. As far as bootlegs though, um, it's got to be something that we don't have uh, an official album from. So for me, my favorite bootlegs are the, I've heard a couple from the matter of life and death tour that are, that have really good quality. Um, 
I always loved listening to Talking Maiden when Nesbitt would play random bootlegs uh, of someone, you know, of like, this is, here's a bootleg of Bruce, you know, with Bruce on his first show or Paul on his last show and things like that. Even though the quality wasn't good, it was really cool to hear. Or here's a bootleg of the first time they played Hallowed Be Thy Name, something like that. That stuff's really cool. Or some of the bootleg stuff, just the audio of, you know, the OzFest show where the power goes out and, and you get to hear you know, something pretty historical in the maiden history happening. Um, but really, I like to listen to the albums, the proper albums. I like to listen to the proper released live albums. So um, that's, but yeah, for me, if I was going to pick, I'd say there's a couple of a matter of life and death bootlegs that I prefer. So edit. I do want to add one bootleg that I really love, probably be my favorite one. When I saw the Legacy of the Beast tour in Dallas, Texas, I recorded pretty much the whole show, and I've listened to that multiple, multiple times, and I absolutely love it because I was there with my daughter. I can hear my daughter yelling and screaming and singing along with songs, and of course, knowing that I was there and knowing that it's all happening right there in front of me and hearing him say, scream for me, Dallas, and yelling out things that pertain specifically to that show uh, that's probably my favorite bootleg. And like I said, having my daughter there makes it extra, extra special for me. So now back to our scheduled recording that I did four days ago. Next question up, I've got three questions, four questions from, from an old friend of the show here, Steve from Oregon, who got into Iron Maiden when he saw them on the Number of the Beast tour. Uh, he ran out and bought everything they had, I believe after the show, which is a really cool story to hear. It's on my, it's on one of my old, old episodes. It's either the one that has Melissa on it. The very first one, uh, the very first maiden stories episode or the second one. I can't remember which one I shared it on, which one, the second one had Brandon from Kentucky. Um, he says, I'll take a stab here. First question. When are we going to see British lion open for maiden? Personally, I don't think this will ever happen. Um, I just don't think Steve Harris is going to go out there because Steve Harris doesn't do it halfway. He goes out there and gives it its all. And I don't think he's going to let anything interfere with what he's going to give to an Iron Maiden show. And I think that that would, the only way I could see that happening is, and I can't see this happening, but is if they were going to get another bass player and I don't, I just don't see that happening. So. I don't think that that'll ever happen. I don't think British line would ever open for maiden. Now, maybe if they were on a festival, I can't even see that happening, but, and you know, hopefully we get a chance just to see maiden again. I could have seen British lion in February, but I didn't get to go because I went to, if you listen to my last episode, I talked about the dangerous toys show. I went to the very next weekend, British lion was playing and I didn't go to that because I didn't want my wife complaining that I was going to shows every weekend because I work a lot of hours at my job and they don't see me a ton during the week. So weekends are the only time I get with my family for the most part. So I was trying to do the right thing. And I really, what I really, really should have done is just went to the show and just dealt with it because <laughs> I could have met, I could have met Steve Harris. <coughs> Excuse me. I could have met Steve Harris and that would have been worth getting grabbed at for a while, I think. So uh, any news on a Bruce solo album? There's a phrase out there where they say no news is good news, but in this instance, no news is bad news because I know there's the rumors out there that Bruce has already recorded a solo album with Roy Z and it's just sitting there in the can. I don't understand why they wouldn't release it 
same goes for Maiden. If you have a lot, a new album, people are just sitting at home. This would be a great time to put it out and have them be able to listen to it. Maybe they think because of, well, they can't think that. Maybe they would, I was going to say, maybe they would think that people aren't working as much and maybe they don't have the money to spend, but they just released a double or triple live album. <laughs> so, um, which, which cost a pretty penny if you got the big package. Uh, third question, would you like to see a Maiden Unplugged? That's an interesting question. Um, the acoustic stuff that Blaze has done is good. Uh, the orchestral albums and things that other people have done are good as well. I would obviously be interested to see it if they did it. I would definitely watch it. Um, I think it could be really good. Uh but with them, it may not work. I just don't know. Uh, I don't. I guess if they, I think the thing that they could do is if they if they did an acoustic show, and this would be very cool to see. I think if they did, I'd love to hear how they would do this. If they would reimagine some of the songs and do them acoustically, but I don't know about Bruce singing in that style. But I bet it would be cool. But I'll here's a here's a, a an opinion that I have about Maiden that I've never shared and it might be controversial to some people, but I don't think Iron Maiden is the best cover band out there. I usually think that what they cover doesn't sound that great. Even when they did, um, Dr. Doctor, I was really, I was surprised that it just wasn't that good. Now you take a song like, um, I've got the fire with Paul Diano and that sounded really good. Um, I think the best song in my opinion that they've done is is massacre the song by um oh crap thin lizzie i think massacre is is incredible and i think part of that goes with the fact that they have dual guitars and things like that and that that's kind of in obviously it's an influence on maiden it's in their wheelhouse so That's my opinion. I, I know some people probably think they don't do anything bad, but I, I'm not a huge fan of them covering a lot of other stuff. So, uh, next one: If you could see Maiden anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? I would love to see the band somewhere where the crowds are incredibly loud, like you listen to the Rock and Rio crowd. Um, so, I, I, the ones I thought of were uh, uh, Rock, the Rio, Chile, 
uh, Christ Church in New Zealand, Argentina, the Netherlands. Um, I want to go somewhere where where they where they sing all the guitar solos and all the melody lines, and I would like to leave and barely be able to talk for a few days. <laughs> uh, I think the coolest part, of, I think the South American crowds. Um, when I talked to Luis from Venezuela, he said that it's almost like getting swept up in the ocean and you can just almost get caught up in the crowd. I do not want to get swept up in an ocean of people. I don't. Um, he said that was very demanding on just your body because it's a, you know, it's just, just the way. And I can only imagine, I have no desire to do that. What I would really love is to go to a, a show in like South America, I think, and be at in, you know, get to have sit at on the soundboard up on the soundboard with somebody and just get to hear it all in the middle of the place. And that, that would be, that would be my dream. That would be phenomenal. Uh, or to get a seat on the side of the stage and get to see the show from the side of the stage and see the crowd, hear the crowd. I think that would be incredible. Um, Steve adds that he is thankful for me. And I thank you very much, Steve. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for anybody that listens. I think it's really, uh, I think it's really awesome. Um, getting down to the last two questions here. Um, <laughs> Michael Blair, my friend from Grandview asks, have you ever thought about changing the name of your podcast? Which not only have I thought about changing the name of it, I have changed the name of it. So, uh, changing it again, uh, it, it could possibly happen. Um, if I ever added a co-host, I might would, I don't know. I don't, I might would do something like that. I don't know. I just, I, I like it the way it is. And, and I think I would probably stick, I might just, if I added a co-host, maybe add to it. Uh, but, um, other question, uh, he says, will you ever do an episode about the great eighties hair metal bands? and admit Poison was one of the greatest bands to take a girl to see. Uh, okay, let's, let's, let's tackle this here. Will you ever do an episode about the great, let me do the oxymoron line, great 80s hair metal bands? Uh, no, I don't see that happening, unless it's bands I like. If I like them, then yes. Admit Poison was one of the greatest bands. Um, first of all, um, to go back to one of um, one of the questions prior, is there a band that basically I hate intensely and would always want to change the channel? Poison is one of those bands. I freaking hate Poison. Um, I'm not saying that those guys don't have some talent because they can obviously play instruments. Their singer can sing and all that. It's it's not a, a talent thing. I just hate what they do. Um, I hate Poison. I hate the band Poison. Um, going on with that. Uh, they were one. He says they were one of the greatest bands to take a girl to see. I did go to one show with it, and I had a female there. And so, um, yeah, they're they're a good they're a good band. They're a good band to go see with a female. I could say that. I could say that. Even though it's like going to Texas Roadhouse, you you get the great food, but you have to listen to the terrible music. So, <laughs> um, last question I got here is from Stephen Howard in Kentucky. And I did a, I did a, a Twitter poll about this currently. This was his question to me. And I went ahead and made a Twitter poll because I know this is the kind of question people like. He said, deja vu versus back in the village. 
He says this causes him strife in his life. He said, I cannot decide. Well, I can decide. It's very easy for me to decide. As soon as he asked me this, I said, deja vu all day long. It's got the sweet intro. Dave, it's a Dave Murray song. I love, love, love that song. I like Back in the Village, but I love Deja Vu. So that is my answer. And if you think it's Back in the Village, that's okay. Music is art and art is subjective. And Iron Maiden rules. So that is all the questions I have. I would like to thank everybody who sent in questions, who asked questions. If I've said anything on here, if I've recommended anything, and I I would appreciate it if you would let me know if you try something or if you listen to a certain album or songs, whatever it may be. I do appreciate you listening, and I'm going, I thought this was going to be like 30 minutes, and I'm at like 75 at this point. So um, it's time for me to go to bed. My voice is getting pretty worn out here. But um, I do appreciate if you're listening. I thank everybody for asking the questions. I would definitely like to do more of this. I think it was a lot of fun to do. So thank you very much and good night.